0: The following is a presentation of the Premier Dance Network. Hi everyone, Kimberly Falker here, the founder and CEO of the Premier Dance Network, the only podcast Hello network dedicated back. solely Thanks to for the coming world to chat. of dance. I am your host, and Barry welcome Corrales, to chat and you with your are host, host Barry to Pody Pody chat, talking dance on the Premier dance Network. In this bi-weekly podcast, I candidly offer educational conversations and thoughtful analysis on all things dance. With my vast background as a director, choreographer, instructor, and dancer, I'm happy to share my 18 plus years of experience with you, whether you're a professional dancer or just listening in for an insider's look into our fascinating art form. So put your earbuds in, grab a cup of coffee, sit back and let's talk dance. Hello, 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 and welcome to a very special episode of Pot of Chat Talking Dance. For those of you that have been with me for a while, you know that April is my anniversary for starting this podcast. And well, this April is a very exciting and special uh, anniversary, so today, when this episode releases, I will be celebrating my official five-year anniversary of creating dance content for all of you listeners out there, which, wow, that's crazy. Just so exciting. I remember actually um, when I started blogging back in what, like 2012, like hitting five years was crazy. So uh, to think that now I've been doing this uh, audio version of blogging essentially, um, it's just nuts. And it's been such an incredibly... Interesting journey. Um, podcasting is definitely like a whole different format from writing. Like, I started as a writer, and because of my writing, I got picked up to be a podcast host on the Premier Dance Network. Um, and it, yeah, it like when you write, you get to write it, you get to edit it, you get to go back and sort of like figure out if you said things the way that you wanted to. But for me, like, I don't really edit these podcasts, I kind of just talk off the cuff. If an ambulance goes by, or you hear car horns honking, that happens. If I fumble, I kind of just go on. Um, unless it's like really, really bad. I don't really edit these. So um, it's kind of fun to have a platform where I can really just use my voice and speak uh, my truth and share my experience and my my uh, thoughts and opinions. And I'm just really grateful to that for all of that. So first off, I want to say thank you to all of my listeners that have been with me for any portion of these past five years, whether you are, you've been here since the beginning, or if you are a newer listener, I appreciate you. And I also want to make sure that I, I send a special shout out and thank you to Kimberly Falker, who is the the founder of the Premier Dance Network, I, I wouldn't have had this, even this thought of doing this, um, let alone this platform, if it wasn't for her. So Kimberly, thank you so much for bringing me on as a, a one of your first podcast hosts. And I I'm just so appreciative for everything that you've given me over the past five years. Yay! So uh, in celebration of uh, five years of podcasting, I am going to hold a lottery for a listener to win a Movement Headquarters t-shirt and two Movement Headquarters masks. So if you are interested in entering this lottery, please send me your name and your address, uh, or let's go name and email address, then we can figure everything else out after that. Um, And you can either send it to me on my social media, that's uh, Instagram at bcorollis, B-K-E-R-O-L-L-I-S. You can go on my Facebook, Barry Corollis, and DM me there. Um, You can send me an email at info at movementhqballet.org or go onto my website, www.barrycorollis corollas.com and send me a message through there. That's B-A-R-R-Y-K-E-R-O-L-L-I-S.com. So yeah, I I would love to give away some of my company's, uh, what do we call that? Merchandise um, to a listener as uh, a giveaway in honor of my fifth anniversary of podcasting. (laughs) It's funny. I feel like I can, if you listen back to episodes from like 2016, 2017, you can probably hear like how much my voice has changed. Um, I think that's a combination of teaching and podcasting. Like I'm going to sound like Dr. Fauci probably in like five to 10 years getting there. Um, but yeah, so that's very exciting. Uh, I'm just so happy that I've achieved this, uh, this, not a hallmark, what's the word I'm looking for, this, uh, yeah, I've gotten to the point. (laughs) Uh, The words are escaping me, but that's what happens on these episodes. Okay, so that is that. Um, I also have a few additional exciting announcements. Um, One is... Movement Headquarters is officially launching an open class program here in New York. And our focus is going to be where classical meets contemporary. I'm looking at a prospective launch date of May 17th. Um, and I will be giving a lot more details about that, but I'm going to be teaching, uh, essentially basic beginner and intermediate advanced ballet classes, as well as a beginner and intermediate advanced, um, contemporary class every week here in New York city. And I'm going to be doing this through movement headquarters. Um, and it will be in Times Square I, and I'm also going to start to look to bring some of my company members in to teach classes regularly. So um, as if New York needs another open class program, this is going to be specifically catered to serious ballet students. And that doesn't mean that you have to be like striving to have a career. Um, I teach so many adults. I love my adults. Um, And many of them started as adults. So they're not necessarily striving to have a career, but all of my students, they, they take class seriously and they want to get better, and that's why I love them. So I, I'm going to focus on doing that, teaching recreational adults and also pre-professional dancers and professionals that are looking to work towards the career. Um, so stay tuned for more announcements about that. I'm super excited about that. I feel like on the fifth anniversary, you got to make big announcements. Um so yeah, uh, if you would like to get in on our mailing list, you can also, the what I was saying before, how to reach out to me, you can just send me your email address and I'll put you on our mailing list for those classes. Um, additionally, Movement Headquarters, we are going to rejoin, rejoin the live performing arts world uh, in June. So we officially have rented space at Ballet Arts and City Center on June 26th and 27th. And Movement Headquarters is going to be preparing a program called Solostice, which is in honor of the summer solstice. And just thinking of like how we can work in a, a space where we know that there are still going to be COVID restrictions, limiting audiences and also like limiting interactions between the dancers. Um, this is going to be a program that is, that is mostly solos and is inspired by the... Uh, the upcoming summer. So, um, I'm really excited to do this. I'm of course nervous to be preparing to launch something like this, but, um, I think we're going to do it, and I, I like. I think it's going to actually happen. We're like we're definitely preparing to do it, um, but I think it's going to actually happen. And we actually have uh, a couple of volunteers who are creating committee to have a gala event included with that. Uh, so I'm just so excited to like get back to doing what I do and uh, what I've been doing for my entire adult and part child life. Um, and so yeah, June, June 26th and 27th. If you're in the New York City area, uh, just keep an eye out. We're going to be sharing information about how, how to get tickets and exactly what we're going to be doing there. Um, yeah, other than that, I'm leaving. It's I'm recording this on Thursday. It will release on Saturday. Um, but I'm actually leaving to teach and judge at a co- competition and convention in Iowa tomorrow morning. So um, I'm fully vaccinated. I'm two weeks, I'm more than two weeks in. Um, I'm excited to go meet a new community safely um, and to start just doing like, what I do, so uh, yeah, that's everything that's going on. Um, I, I feel like we're finally starting to see the clouds um separate after what a wild experience. Um, I know that we're not there yet, and we do need to still like wear masks and socially distance the best that we can. Um, but it, it definitely feels like we're moving forward, and I I feel like, like I've, I've been saying pretty much since like June and July of last year that like those of us that stick around here in New York, like it's, it's been hard, but I think also at the same time, like we're going to be the ones that like really benefit from having stuck around here. And I told everybody that like, it's going to start with like the people that are here are going to start to get opportunities and they're going to start to whisper to other people. And then more people are going to start coming back. That's already happening. The first wave of of artists uh, are returning to the city. And I feel like, within like three months, it's going to explode. It's going to be back to normal. Um, and even outside the dance world, like just walking through Times Square, um, to teach the other day, I like looked around and I was like, Oh my God, there are tourists here, which, um, I've missed, but then also I've gotten used to like being able to walk around without crowds. So it's going to take some adjusting. Um, but yeah, that's, that's what's going on. Fifth anniversary open class program where classical meets contemporary, um, and we're going to rejoin the live performing arts scene. So, all very, very exciting things happening. So, let's get to our content for today. Um, I was thinking, what is the best way to celebrate a fifth anniversary of podcasting? And I I thought, I I love doing like number podcast like 10 things. So I was thinking I'm going to do five things that I've learned since starting podcasting. And this is not all directly related to podcasting. Um, it's like things that I've learned because um, I was in a really weird place when I started podcasting because I started performing professionally like in 2003. I did a guesting gig with American Ballet Theater before they had their J.K.O. school. I was David Hallberg's second cast when he was still in the core um, at American Ballet Theater with Romeo and Juliet. So that was 2003. And then I... Joined Houston Ballet after that, went to Pacific Northwest Ballet for seven years and then went to Ballet X. And if you've been listening, you know all that drama. And then I freelanced across the country for four years after that. Um, And I had my career-ending injury in in Oakland Ballet um, in May of 2014. Um, So I in 2014, I ended up, doing different things just because I thought I was going to get back to performing. And it took me well over a year and a half, almost two years to like really come to terms with the fact that I uh, was done performing. And essentially, that was like right around the time, like when I finally realized I was done with my performance career, Um, that was around the time that I started to transition. And that's when my podcast came about. So essentially, for those of you that have been with me since the beginning, you have been with me as I've experienced like a true transition into the second stage of my career. And I've done a lot of things. I've tested a lot of things out and failed. I've had like incremental like successes. I've had major successes. I've had like everything in between. So it's been like five years of life. And um, yeah, so it's been, it's definitely been a transformative five years and I've learned a lot throughout this experience. And I've been glad to be able to share with you guys. So yeah, the first thing um, that I learned, I guess that relates to that is that uh, a career is fluid. When I started this podcast, like I said, I I was just about to to admit to myself that my performing career was over. Um, I actually remember the day that it happened. I was taking Nancy Bielski's class at Steps on Broadway and she came up to me and she's like you're looking really good and i was like thanks like i felt really i felt like fantastic and she was like i know that twyla twyla tharp um i know twyla is looking for a male dancer do you want me to recommend you and i was like i was like well thank you i really appreciate that i was like i know her i was like but i was like i just don't think i'm ready um but the thing is like after I, i felt bad saying i felt guilty but then when i stepped away from the class it wasn't that I wasn't ready. It was that I was done. Like I had been burnt out. I had brought myself back to a place where I was like really loving being in class. Um, And the thing is like as a dancer, for the most part, like you get to be yourself, but you also have to portray this like enhanced version of yourself. And a lot of times you also have to play characters. And I had had so many experiences at that point. I love acting um, in dance but I was in a place where I could not put on a front. If I didn't enjoy something, I could not put on a front. Like I didn't want to play a character. I just wanted to be me for a bit. Um, and so it was like a combination of fear of my back going out and and like letting Twilight down, and also like being afraid of getting back on stage. Like, I I definitely had a little bit of fear of getting back on stage and that I wasn't going to be the dancer that I I had been previously. I didn't want to be compared to the dancer that I had been previously. Um, But also, I I, I realized that I was quite fulfilled with what my career was. And um, I was afraid that if I went back on stage, that everything after that would just be like, worse than what I had already had. So um, yeah, it was probably right around the time that I started chat, Talking Dance um, that I admitted to myself that it was time to be done. So um, going back to the idea that a career is fluid. So I was just about to um, retire and I was, I had already been like Starting to dip my toes into this like post performance career for a bit. Like, I went up to Alaska, I was interim director there. I ran a few programs in Alaska after that on my own, like summer intensives and winter intensives. Um, I was teaching master classes here and there, although at the time I wouldn't have considered the master classes like either subbing or coming to teach a class. Um, I didn't start really judging until um, like a year and a half, two years ago, but I was starting to choreograph a little bit and getting like a few bites here and there. But for the most part, I ended up choreographing on students who were competing in competitions, mostly youth America grand prix. So, um, I had like a lot of emotions attached to the end of my performance career. And then beyond that, I had certain expectations of myself. And I also had expectations from others as I started to progress into this post-performance career. So like, for instance, um, coming from a company. And I think I had these thoughts in my head, like as a kid, and that they just sort of carried over until I actually had the reality of it. But I think as a teen, I was always like, I have to dance for a big company. Because if you look at people who are in charge of big schools and choreographers and um, doing like high level um, dance jobs, they all had like the pedigree of like a major company. Um, so once I got into P B in Houston Ballet, I kind of like thought that I was set for like my post-performance career. I just imagined like as soon as I'm retired, I'm going to be able to go anywhere in the country and say, I dance with Pacific Northwest Ballet. You're definitely gonna want me to teach your students, So you're definitely gonna be interested in my choreography. Um so it was it was like kind of this like weird expectation of myself. Um that was tied into my expectation of others reacting to myself. Um, so it, it was fascinating to see like that, that expectation did not live up to itself. Um, the loss of self and the evolution forward uh, from the point of like, when I say the loss of self, I mean like that saying like every dancer dies, twice, like that losing my identity as like a stage performer and then starting to evolve into these, like this teaching, choreographing, writing aspect of my life, I, I almost assumed that they would be a given and they weren't. Um, so it wasn't just like a loss of that identity of being a performer. That was a challenge throughout that period, but it was also, um, the failure of expectations. So there, there was a lot of pain during that period between 2014 and I'd say like 2018, pretty much those four years, like transitioning from performing to trying to make Philadelphia work to super commuting from Philadelphia to New York. And then finally moving to New York. um, I feel like I finally started to come into my own in 2018 and I started to understand like where I fit in. Um, But yeah, I ended up trying a bunch of things and like some things have stuck and some things haven't. Some things have evolved. Like my work um choreographing on students for Youth, Youth America Grand Prix has evolved into my work like working for Youth America Grand Prix. Um there were times that I taught at studios that just those schools did not have the same passion and drive that I did. And what I learned is I'm, I'm really good at going into recreational schools like that um, and teaching like one-off classes or for like a couple of days at a summer intensive. But when it comes to like committing my yearly schedule, like every week going there, um, it's just really not for me because... Um, if I can't work with people in the way that, uh, inspires me, then I get really depressed and I get really overwhelmed and I get burnt out. And, um, yeah, that's how it works. But I had to do a lot of trial and error throughout that. And in order for that trial and error to be, to happen, I had to be really fluid. There were like, there were times where, like I said, my expectation was like, Oh, I would easily be able to get uh, a teaching job. So like, for instance, in Pennsylvania, um, I tried to get work in schools there for a while. I taught at Koresh Dance Dance Company School, which was, which was good. But for me, like being a ballet dancer, I really wanted to teach at Pennsylvania Ballet School or the Rock School, and I wasn't getting any bites. Finally, after I had started super commuting from Philly to New York and committed to moving to New York, I got hired by Pennsylvania Ballet to teach in their their uh intermediate and advanced divisions for ballet and contemporary but unfortunately the school director was let go by the direct there was a lot of crazy transition there um and but so the school director was let go and angel correa didn't honor um my my hiring because i hadn't signed a contract um and they they just didn't offer it to me so it was even when i thought that i finally got what i was looking for um it fell out of my fingertips and um, it's funny also I was going to move to New I was already pl- had a, like a, a planned uh, months to move to New York. I'd been commuting back and forth for over a year and then I was like, well now am I going to move to New York and have to commute to Philadelphia So yeah it, it really these past five years have forced me to go with the flow <laughs> um, and to really like identify what um, makes me happy. And then being willing to try like multiple pathways to get to that endpoint, and knowing that maybe one of those other pathways will become my like main avenue. And yeah, it's just been very fascinating. So uh, the best way I can compare it is to how high schoolers are constantly told in their junior and senior year, like what college do you wanna go to? And then like, they finally get into the college, okay, well, what are you gonna major in? What are you gonna get a degree in? And then they go and they have this idea, like I'm gonna be a psychologist. And then a year or two in, they realize that they hate everything about psychology and they completely shift their, their degree goals. Um and they actually find their way um, and realize that it wasn't exactly what they expected. Um, so yeah, that's one thing that uh, I've definitely learned in the past five years. Um, when you're a performer, you kind of just have like hopes and dreams of performing certain works and in, in certain uh, organizations. Um, but once you get past that, I feel like it's not as linear uh, of a, a line to get to where you want to be or where you think you want to be. And you have to be willing to try so many different things. And trying so many different things doesn't necessarily mean like, okay, well, I wanna be a teacher in a major ballet school or, or like a musical theater program at a university. Um, it means like maybe you have to teach at all these different types of schools to figure out like exactly which one truly like inspires you and makes you wanna show up to work every day, even if you're having a bad day. if you don't feel good or anything like that. So yeah, a career is fluid. Um, And uh, yeah, I was going to say something, but I think I'm going to talk about that later. All right. So um, my second thing I've learned um, since starting podcasting. This is actually something I've been discussing with um, my my close friend Trisha Carter, who is uh, <laughs> she wears multiple hats. She's the executive director of Miami Dance Hub, um, which offers resources to dancers in Miami, and she also is the company manager of Dimensions Dance Theater in Miami, and she dances for the company as well. Um, so we we've been talking a lot lately about this idea that the higher up you progress in a a field, and this is definitely true for the dance field, the lonelier it is. Um, it was funny because we were actually talking about this um, the same day. And then she sent me an an actor. I don't know who this actor is. I'm just going to put this disclaimer out there, but apparently they're like a well-known actor. Um, Amelia Clark, she had posted on her social media and it said being a successful actor, I'm not quoting this. Like I don't have my Instagram open, but, um, it was something along the lines of being a successful actor means sitting alone in your trailer, sitting alone on an airplane, um like not seeing your family on holidays, things like that. And it was pretty much just saying like that the more successful you are as an actor, the lonelier the situation is. And it was crazy because we had actually been talking about that earlier in the day and then she found that and sent that to me. Um so yeah, the higher up you progress in, especially I can speak to the dance field, the lonelier it is. Um, when you're like a dancer in the court of ballet, um, or like doing dancing group pieces and you're not necessarily getting solos and like leading characters, you, you have, a you're dancing in a group, you're rehearsing in a group. Um, when you go into your dressing room, you have a bunch of people in the dressing room with you, um. And I know that everybody usually has aspirations to climb higher within a company, um, but there really is something to be said about the camaraderie of working in a group in that way. Whether you're like a chorus boy or a chorus girl, or shall we update that to chorus woman and chorus man um, (laughs) on Broadway, or if that means that you're dancing in the group of a contemporary piece, or if you're in the corps de ballet of a ballet company, um, you have like a group of people to support you. And if you do well, they can tell you if you do well, if you, uh, if something's not working or you have a bad day, you have people there to support you. Um, this never really crossed my mind. Like when I was in in the core, I was like, I want to be a principal and, and now looking back at like the principals, they end up getting their own dressing room and obviously that's so they can focus and really just like do what they need to, to lead a production. um, But at the same time, it makes sense that they get a little bit more, they they get a little quieter. Um, When they become principals, they don't necessarily interact with other dancers as much. It's because they've been physically separated for a lot of their work. When they have rehearsals, they're working on solos in the studio with like one-on-one, or they might do a pas de deux, it would be two-on-one, or maybe there's like a second cast in the studio with them. So it could be like five people in the studio. When you're dancing a core piece, it could be like 30 to 40 people in a studio all at once. Um... So that's like a a good example when it comes to dancing. But then once you remove yourself outside of the performing aspect of your career, um, now you are a teacher or a choreographer um, or a writer. And a lot of the work that you're doing, you are either by yourself preparing or you're at the front of the studio. And if you need support... Um, there's not a lot of people to turn to because, uh, like for instance, I teach my, my classes and my students look to me for feedback. Um, the only feedback I might get would be from a boss. And lately, a lot of the work that I'm doing, I'm my own boss. Um, choreographically, I I do get feedback from audience members and fans and other dancers, but when it comes to critical feedback, it, it happens a lot less, um, Honestly, like, I feel like at times I live in silence. I like I'm giving and giving and giving and giving giving, and I'm like, okay, well, how do I move forward? How do I get better grants for my company? How do I get commissions for my choreography? How do I get my company to tour? Um, I don't understand this aspect of uh, like this, this area of leading a company. Um, Who do I turn to for help? There's so many fewer people. um, And like, at times, I might just, like, if, if I'm not teaching or choreographing, I might be in my apartment for, like, days working on things and not talk to anybody except for my husband. Um, so, yeah, I've learned that the longer I'm in this career and the, the better I do and the the higher up I, I my profile gets, um the quieter it is, the lonelier it is, and the less critical feedback I get. So you have to be really self-driven. I mean, it's kind of just like this podcast. Uh, I think a lot of people think that a podcast is exactly like radio. Um, And if you think like radio, it's playing all the time um, in cities and in towns. Um, Podcasts, people actually have to go and find them and then listen to them um and especially in a niche like dance i don't think really any dance podcast has like an insane following like a local radio station i know conversations on dance my friends michael and rebecca their their podcast is quite popular but even even them i doubt that they have like tens of thousands of people listening to their podcast every single day um so what ends up happening is um sometimes you get like some feedback, like somebody will say, I loved your episode or like when I was teaching more in person, like so people would come into my class like every once in a while and they'd be like, oh my God, I listen to your podcast and be cool because it would be somebody from Japan or somebody from like Europe or somebody uh, from California. They come and take my class because they they listen to my podcast and that's amazing. But a lot of times, I, as my friend Trisha said, she's like, it's like you're in an echo chamber where like... <laughs> you're kind of talking to yourself. Like right now I am in my room, on my phone, talking to myself. This is the echo chamber. Um, And I don't always get a ton of feedback. Um, Sometimes I could go three to four months without hearing like any direct feedback from a listener. Um, And then in a week I could hear from five people. So it even goes with podcasting, teaching at the front of the studio, people relying on me, very little critical feedback. Choreographing, (laughs) right now all of it's, through my company, I'm not getting commissions at this, at this point in time. Also like who's commissioning because everything is shut down. Um, so not really getting any feedback <laughs> aside from like people who watch my choreography, uh, digitally, um, writing. I do get some, some critical feedback as a writer with dance magazine and point and uh, dance teacher because I have an editor, but, um, that's probably one of the only places. My podcast is completely self-produced. I, I finish it. I send it off to my my uh, my producer, Kimberly Falker, and she puts on the intro and the outro um, to these podcasts. So yeah, the higher up you progress in the field, the lonelier it is. That's something that you should be aware of if you like really have a hunger to uh, go into the field beyond a dancer and to be a leader within the field. Um be aware of that and make sure that you have a support system set up to handle that because um, loneliness can also equal depression and depre- loneliness and depression and work and lots of work can equal burnout um so yeah that is my advice on that i've i've learned so much in the past <laughs> five years all right the third one um and if you can't tell i mean this is my opinion um, so don't correct me if I'm wrong. Cause I don't want to be corrected. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Be nice. Um, I feel like I'm a good storyteller. Uh, <laughs> and obviously I like to talk a lot. Uh, when I was younger, I would tell stories about my life to anybody and everybody. Um, like I remember when I was like five, my mom used to, she used to pay me off. Sorry, mom telling your story. Um, she said that I would talk so much that, uh, what she would do is she would say if I could stay quiet for a half hour, um, she would give me like a dollar or $2 or something like that. So I would run into the kitchen and I would set the timer on the microwave and she didn't believe it, but I, I could do it. If you, if you offered me money, I could stay quiet. Um, and then the second the people went off, I'd be like, blah, 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 blah. <laughs> So yeah, um then when I left home, uh, I, I distinctly remember certain friends, um, Trisha being one of them. Trisha and I met at the Kirov Academy of Ballet. Um at the Kirov Academy of Ballet, when I lived there for the year-on program in the School of American Ballet in New York, um, my closest friends, we would just sit and talk for hours and I would tell stories about my childhood, um, and like essentially like what evolved me into the person that I was. Um, we'd talk about life and hopes and dreams and failures. And it's interesting because I see how this sort of like started setting me up for where I am now, because in the end I was always quite honest. I would share like stories that a lot of people wouldn't want to talk about, like the emotional abuse that I I went through with my stepfather who was, uh, mentally ill, um, and other other things like that uh or if we were talking about like where we thought people were going in their career like i would give critical feedback so i've I've always kind of been candid and honest um whether it was like telling personal stories or offering critical feedback so it's interesting to see how the parallel of like the 16 17 18 19 year old me is also very similar to the 36 and 37-year-old me where not 39, you know, not going to get there soon. But yeah, so it's always kind of been a part of me. Um, there were times when I I've felt that people didn't want to listen to my stories. Um, and it's, it's interesting because that also leads to my anxiety because I've started, now that I'm aware of that, I know that I can be long-winded. Um, I watch people's faces while I'm talking, and if I see them starting to check out, I, my brain explodes and I, I get completely lost in my stories and I get really awkward. And for me, it's more like i just, try, I just want to connect with that person and it's like a quick disconnect. So, but yeah, as, as I've gotten older, um, I, I feel like pe- more people appreciate like my experience, my knowledge and my candor, um, so that's, that's been really nice over the past five years where like the beginning, I feel like people didn't really trust my experience where now I feel like I people trust it more and they actually want to hear um, what I, I have to say it's honestly, it's a shame. I'm not having kids because I feel like I'd be a great grandpa. I've said that since I was a kid, I feel like I would be a great grandpa because they just sit and they ramble on and on and on. And the kids are either like, can you believe grandpa said that story or I, that didn't happen. Um, (laughs) and I got stories and they did happen, but yeah, so maybe podcasting is really my like way of living my best, like grandpa life. um, In my classes with my kids, not my adult classes, my joke is always like, if I'm going to tell a story, like an anecdote, uh, I'll be like, uncle, uncle Barry story time. Um, So yeah, maybe uncle instead of grandpa. Um, So yeah, I've I've realized I'm a good storyteller. Um, And we know, we obviously know I like to talk a lot. I think all of you that have listened to more than two episodes know that. All right. So that's three, four. Um prior success isn't guaranteed uh, success as you evolve in your field. This is what I was going to say earlier, and I decided to stop myself. So um, just because you've been successful in your field doesn't guarantee success in other areas of your career. Um, And I guess I've already kind of touched on this a bit. Uh, For me, starting as a teacher, like I said, I thought that uh, having P&B on my resume meant that I would be a hot commodity. Um, Actually, that even goes back to when I was Freelancing. I remember like leaving Pacific Northwest Ballet, making like thirteen hundred a week, maybe thirteen fifty a week. It was a little over sixty thousand a year, which at the time in two thousand ten that was really really good. Um, I left and I joined Ballet X, and it was like a third of the pay. Um, which was fine. I knew that I was doing that, but then when I started freelancing, I remember like getting work that was what I considered to be lesser than what I had at PNB. And I was like, well, if I'm going to do work, like I, I was leaving PNB to get out of the core. Like, let's be honest. I wanted to be a soloist or a principal and that's all I wanted to do. And I was tired of being in the core. And then like, I got hired to dance in the core of Sleeping Beauty and Swan Lake with Festival Valley Providence, but I needed the money. So I went and I ended up having a good experience. Um, but I was thinking like, okay, well, I'm not going to dance for a, a less known company for way less money than I made at this company where I could have danced the same roles, if not better roles, um, for more money. It was like a conundrum. Um, but so what ended up happening, my husband told me like, just because you, you made that much of PNB and you danced at PNB doesn't mean that everybody knows you and knows anything about your dancing and trust that that PNB name is going to validate your work. Plus they probably don't have the money. So that was like a good lesson back when I was freelancing that has kind of bled into my uh, post-performance career. For me, starting as a teacher, uh, I had to go like pretty, I had to go pretty from scratch. Like I started teaching subbing at recreational dance schools. I started making like I mean, for for the area that we lived in, this would probably be considered like low, moderate to moderate. Um, so maybe it was a little more and that's what PNB got me. Um, but I was making $50 an hour at that time. Um, so maybe it helped me a little bit, but it didn't guarantee that I was going to get work. What ended up happening was I ended up having to go through the exact same experience that so many other people have. Like, yes, maybe I quickly progressed from teaching at recreational schools, like like classes and subbing from 2011, and then joining Koresh's faculty, Koresh Dance Company's faculty in like 2013. Um, and then I was still going around just like, selling my classes like at anybody that would take it. And then slowly over time, I was able to build to the point where I could teach at Broadway Dance Center, steps on Broadway, be brought out to uh, teach at Youth America Grand Prix and other competitions um, and conventions. So um, perhaps once I proved my value, that pedigree of Pacific Northwest Ballet helped me move forward faster. Or maybe I just work really hard and I was really hungry and that's how I got it. But I um, for sure, prior success isn't guaranteed success as you evolve in your field. I feel like a lot of people hire principal dancers directly out of major companies into roles that they don't deserve. Sorry, I said it. And I say maybe they would deserve it over time, but they haven't like built up their skills as a manager, as a, a teacher, as somebody who can oversee an entire program and interact with people professionally. Um, I think that's why a lot of shady things have happened in our dance world, um, because we hire people without skills. We, uh, think that studio skills, uh, as a dancer transfer to managerial skills and they do not. They're are going to be, uh, exceptions to the role, but, um, for the most part, I think that that's a big problem, but yeah. So, um, I, I think it's just important to note, like, if you are transitioning from a performance career into another aspect of the dance career. Don't just assume that you're automatically going to start like two steps ahead of, uh, the people in your community because of that. Um, something else I guess important to notice is that, uh, having a pedigree and having prior success can also work against you. Um, this actually, I feel like this happened with my performance career. Um, when I left the school of American ballet, I had like I can't remember anymore. It used to be so important to me. I used to care so much about this number. I think it was seven contract offers, like Alberta Ballet, Kansas City Ballet, Carolina Ballet, uh, Houston Ballet. um, And there were a few more. Pennsylvania Ballet, too. I guess the rest doesn't matter. But anyway, so um, I had all those offers. And then after Houston Ballet, um, I auditioned for like five companies and I got an offer with Boston Ballet. In Pacific Northwest Ballet, and then I was at PNB for several years. And then when I started auditioning when I was 26 to leave the company, I auditioned at like all this a lot of the same companies, and I only got a job with Ballet X. Um, and the challenge was I was too experienced; I cost too much. They probably looked at me and said, "Like great dancer, but we probably won't have as much time with him, so it's not worth like spending the money and bringing him here because he'll probably retire in a couple of years." Um, I don't know, I'm not those people, but um it can work against you. Uh I today where I am now, there are times that I tell people my rate um and I don't get that work because it's too high and um it's not necessarily a bad thing. And sometimes we can obviously negotiate and find a, a meet in the middle, but say if somebody offers me $40 to teach now, um, that's less than I made when I first started teaching. So, um, yeah, prior success doesn't guarantee future success in your field, but also prior success can work against you. Um, just really interesting thing to learn um, along this pathway forward in this crazy, crazy dance field. Um, all right, my last, my last thing that I've learned in the past five years since I started podcasting. Um, You truly have to love what you do to sustain yourself in any field. Um, I I remember growing up as a kid, um, because right now I'm like so immersed in the dance field. Um, Most people I know are in the dance field. And then the people that I don't, they're, uh, I mean, especially living in New York, they have like jobs that are very, uh, eclectic. Um, where I grew up, it was more like a lot of people would just grind. It was like they, they worked to live. Um, they didn't live to work. So, uh, there were a lot of people who really hated their jobs. Um, they hated every hour that they were on the job, but then they would come home and they'd just be able to relax. So, um, In the dance world, it doesn't work that way. And in in fields like the dance world, it doesn't work that way. You truly have to love what you do to sustain yourself. Um, I've burnt out way too many times pushing too hard, trying to make things happen. But in the end, I've always come back to push harder, whether it's been teaching too much, working in organizations that take more than they give, um, even creating too much content, which uh, happened in 2017 when I finally decided to stop blogging. not getting accolades. I feel uh, I've, I've worked for, whether that means like a grant or commission, or even just like a boss coming up to you and being like, you're doing a really good job. I need, I should give you a raise. Um, there's so many things that uh, have gotten in the way of me having just like a straightforward, like completely happy, like easy career. Um, it's not an easy career, but I, what I've learned is like when I burnt out from performing, like I was still giving myself class alone in the gym. Um, when I've been teaching too much, like I I still have continued to teach. Um, so yeah, I've always wanted to dance. I've want, always wanted to create dance. I've always wanted to teach dance. I've always wanted to write about dance and talk about dance. Um, and even when I've been burnt out, maybe like I've had to. Uh, turn the the volume down in a certain area for a while and sort of like reevaluate and readjust like how loud I want to turn that volume up. Um, or if I want to turn it completely off, um, for a while or for ever or for a short period of time. Um, but I always come back to it. Um, and that's why I think I've been able to sustain myself in the field. Um, and also with this podcast for an insane five years, as I've transitioned from, uh, dancer, like company dancer to freelance dancer to teacher, choreographer, writer, director, and podcaster. Um, so if you truly, like, if you're in this dance world and you think that you're really passionate about it, I like what I would recommend for you to do is to figure out like why you love it. um, and then start to build other avenues within the field that you can do concurrently with like your main thing, whether that's like performing, teaching, choreographing, directing, writing, etc., Um, because I think that what really sustained me through the hard times was that when something was taken from me or something wasn't going well, or if I was just exhausted, um, I could always turn to another segment of the field. Like when I wasn't getting the choreography jobs that I was hoping for, I I really started to like hone my focus into teaching. Um, Now that my company is really uh, starting to grow, I I pulled back my teaching a little bit. I used to teach like every day of the week. Um, Obviously the pandemic has had something to do with it, but when I actually launched the company, I did remove... um, Several days of teaching outside of the city from my schedule. So, um, yeah, if you want to sustain yourself, create multiple pathways. Um, it doesn't have to be like four overwhelming pathways. You could have your one main focus and have like two other, like minor, minor uh, variations that you are working on. So, um, that that's that's what I what I've learned. That's what I I share with you. Um, I hope that these help you continue your pathway forward and that you continue to find passion in the dance world and that as we open up the performing arts and we can return to some semblance of what we we used to do in-person performances, uh, writing reviews, being inspired by dance, um, creating dance and everything in between. Um, I hope that you can use my lessons that I've learned over the past five years to help guide you forward in your pathway. So, yeah, I always love like a good feeling end to a, an episode. I, I'm so glad that you've all come along on this journey with me. Um, whether you, this is your first listen or whether this is your, I don't know how many episodes I've done, a hundred and seventieth listen. Um I'm just so grateful for those of you uh, who have reached out to me either digitally um, or in person um, and for letting me know how much you appreciate my content and that uh, the things that I share do make an impact on others. Because like I said, I, I, so often I feel lonely and I feel like uh, my, my work is unheard and it isn't seen. And every, every time that somebody reaches out to me, um, and just even says like thank you or like this thing you said really really struck a note with me or um this is like my go-to like driving home from work thing all of those things um it just makes me so happy and it really inspires me to continue sharing uh in the way that I have so thank you everybody again thank you Kimberly Falker so much for giving me this opportunity to have a voice um in a way that so many people have not had uh, an opportunity like we really started podcasting when podcasts were really popular like early 2000s and then they kind of died and then they came back and Kimberly really jumped on the bandwagon at the right time and um it's just so cool. My name is Barry Carolus. I'm a normal human being that loves dance and I get to talk about it to Anybody in the world who wants to listen, um, it's just so cool, and and I'm I'm just really grateful for the opportunity. So, cheers to another five years, and thank you all so much for listening. Again, if you want to enter our fifth year anniversary uh, lottery giveaway, I'll be giving away a Movement Headquarters T-shirt some swag and uh, two movement headquarters masks. So you can uh, just follow some of the information that I'm about to share with you in the Altrope and reach out to me and just give me your name and your email address. All right, thank you guys. And I will speak with you again in two weeks. I hope that you enjoyed this week's episode of Pod to Chat Talking Dance. If there are any topics you'd like to hear me talk about, please feel free to reach out to me via my website contact page at www.barrycorlis.com. Again, that's www.barrycorlis.com. You can check out my company, Movement Headquarters, by visiting www.movementhqballet.org. You can also reach out on those if you'd like to become a sponsor for our podcast or to book master classes in ballet or contemporary technique for choreography or speaking engagements. I hope you enjoyed listening in and talking dance with me. If you enjoyed this chat, please feel free to share, rate, and review our podcast on iTunes. Every bit of extra visibility helps keep these podcasts running. And if this didn't fulfill your dance fix, check out my sister podcast on the Premiere Dance Network. If you wanna connect with me to see where I'm choreographing, teaching, and what I'm doing in my everyday life, you can follow me on Facebook, Instagram, where my name is B Corollas, or on Twitter at Bariskos. You can also check out Movement Headquarters on Instagram at movement underscore headquarters. Make sure that you check out my blogs. I wrote on life of a freelance dancer for five years about working as an independent contractor and nationally touring freelance artists. I also wrote on dancing off stage And that was about the post-performance careers of professional dancers. If you'd like to check out my choreography, you can visit one of my two YouTube channels by going to youtube.com and typing in B Corollas or Movement Headquarters. Thanks for listening in to Podachat. I hope you return two weeks from this Saturday to talk dance with me. And remember to go out and support your local dance scene.